starting a short series on 1 Corinthians 13 that I'm really excited about. I hope will be a blessing to you. So this, I think this is the first week, we had a gift of a number of new Bibles. Um, so I think at this point, just about every seat should have a Bible in front of us. So if you didn't bring your own Bible, I'd like to invite you in the pulpit Bible, or sorry, in the uh, pew Bible that you have um, to open up to page 959. Uh, for 1 Corinthians 13. It will be a short reading. We're going to kind of hit it a few times throughout the sermon, but stand with me for the reading of God's word, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word. We thank you for your love and for what you have to teach us about love. I pray that this morning you would equip me to speak. You would equip us all to hear good and beautiful things in your word and to be changed and transformed by it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This is one of those chapters that... You may have heard so many times that it kind of just breezes by now when you hear it. It may have become a little bit common, a little bit uh, difficult to actually hear what Paul is saying. Maybe this is one of your favorite chapters. I hope it is. I hope after we uh, look at it today, I hope it will be. Uh, But it's possible that this may have taken on the character of like a hotel artwork uh, in your life. Like, you know it's there. It's kind of comforting. Um, it gives you this like warm, fuzzy feeling. But if you think about it, like, do you actually consider what these words are saying? The reason we're spending four weeks on this fairly short chapter is that I think this has much more to say to us than we may have given it credit for. If we've counted this as that hotel artwork kind of uh, feel, kind of idea, we may have sold it short on the actually fairly radical things that Paul is telling us, and a countercultural message that he has, and I think actually sometimes particularly in the church, I think this is an important message, an important word for us to hear today. Now before we can really ask what the passage is saying, we have to, as always, ask what's the context in which this was written. It would be dangerous to jump into 1 Corinthians 13 uh, without acknowledging that there were 1 Corinthians 1 to 12, and indeed followed by 14 to 16. So if you've read the book to the Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians, you know uh, that the Corinthians were a mess, right? They were not doing well. There were doctrinal issues. There were sin issues. There were cultural issues. Like, really, if we went through the list of, like, all of the issues that churches face, you could probably find it in the Corinthian church. But underpinning all of those issues, all of those individual things, Uh, is this basic and primary issue of pride that just keeps coming up over and over and over again. 
They were proud of their wealth. They were proud of their wisdom. They were proud of their association with certain people. They were proud of their status. So after 12 chapters of writing to this proud church, this church that had so many issues, Paul says, maybe we need to back up a little bit. He says, I don't think you've really understood this whole love thing that's supposed to be undergirding everything that we're talking about. It's not worth talking about all of these individual issues until we figure out this main important thing that stands behind all of it. I want to tell you about love. And the fact that you're having all of these other problems may be a sign that you haven't figured this one thing out. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. These are not abstract possibilities. As we read this today, these kind of come off as truisms. If I do this and this and this and have not love, then I gain nothing. And Paul's letter here, these are not abstract possibilities. These are you, over there, you, who I'm writing to, are speaking in tongues. Tongues of men, what you believe to be tongues even of angels. And you're saying, I, because I speak in so many tongues, because I speak in this higher, perhaps, angelic language that is ununderstandable. That's not a word, that's okay. Um, They were saying, I, because I have this ability, that, that means that I am somehow greater, I am better, I am more important. Or I have prophetic powers. The, the Lord speaks through me. That means that I'm something. We may modernize this a bit and say, I, I preach, perhaps with some degree of ability, and believe that because of that, I am something. I am worth something more. I will gain something more. Or I sing as, as Dorian was singing so beautifully in Joseph, and, or I do these works of incredible mercy. I have given away so much money. God must think I'm something greater. And Paul is saying, you who are so proud of your ability to speak in tongues or to prophesy or to preach or to sing or to do good works or to put others First, or to sacrifice, let me tell you what that is worth without love. In other words, you can do things that look like love and not have love. And if you don't have love, then those things are worthless. And that's a hard message to hear. He's not saying that those things are bad in and of themselves. Paul was all about spiritual gifts. He actually says later on, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you guys. Right? He is not bashing their abilities. He is not saying that what they're doing necessarily are bad in their content. But he is saying, you can do things that look like love and not have love. I remember as a child, uh, my friend got a gift from his dad who had gone on a trip. Um, and he thought he had gotten gold. Right? It was this kind of hunk of, of this gold-looking thing. And he turns over and he's like, dude, we're rich. We're going to Toys R Us. We're going to raid that Nintendo aisle like 
we've got it made. Maybe some of you had that, that experience as a kid. Uh, his dad did not tell him. <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was a rude awakening that he found out it was pyrite, right? It's fool's gold. Uh, it looks like gold, or it isn't gold, because it isn't gold, it's, and we might say, worthless. Essentially, it's worthless. And Paul was speaking to the Corinthians, saying, what you have is fool's love. What you have is something that looks like love, but has no love, and because it has no love, it has no value. It's a harder message than we may have expected from, uh, from the love chapter, right? It's, it's got a little bit of bite to it. But I think because of that, it, it actually has something more encouraging at the end to say to us. So hang with me. <laughs> so Paul states three consequences for what it means to live and minister in a way that looks like love but has no love. First, he says, it is to be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, my, my education, my bachelor's degree, is in percussion. Um, so that it hurts me a little bit hearing him say that. Um, gongs and cymbals can be so beautiful. But I think the, the message that he has here, especially with somebody speaking in tongues, is not of, of that being used like in an orchestra. It's somebody standing right in front of you with a pair of crash cymbals. I remember in many orchestras... Um, being the crash cymbal player and seeing the trumpet player in front of me turn around and the look on his face when he was realized that he was the one directly in front of you. And it is not a pleasant face, <laughs> um, especially if they realize, I didn't bring earplugs. This is the image that Paul has, is someone who is speaking right in front of you and it just sounds like somebody crashing cymbals or is smashing a gong in front of your face. You've probably had that experience. This is not something that is outside of our common experience. How many of you have had the experience of talking to someone and realized that they were only actually speaking to hear themselves speak? Their love was not for you. Their love was for their own ability, their own intelligence, their own eloquence, whatever it may be. I'm sure none of, we, none of us have ever done that in our lives but if you've had that experience of listening to someone like that, you know, however beautiful their words are, however eloquent their words are, however true, it is like a crashing symbol in front of your face if there's no love. And Paul says, this is what it's like to minister, to live without love, to be a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. Second, he says it is to be nothing. Strong words. To be Nothing. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, that's pretty impressive, but have not love, I am nothing. What does he mean? Well, remember that Paul is speaking to a group of people who are inordinately concerned with being something. They wanted to be impressive. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted the benefits of a savior who was persecuted and poorly thought of and laughed at, but they didn't want to be like him because they realized that to be like him would be to be treated like him. So we read from 1 Corinthians 1, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose 
what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Notice that. God chose what is low and despised, even things that are not, even nothings, to bring to nothing things that are. This is the same sort of reversal that Jesus spoke of often in his earthly ministry. The low will be made great. The humble will be exalted. Put yourself last, and you will be first. But the Corinthians were tempted, and certainly we all are tempted, to go with the more obvious choice. If you want to be first, put yourself first. If you want to be great, make yourself great. But Paul says... If I do all these things, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Third, to gain nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Reminds me of Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. If I give... For my own greatness, I gain nothing. If I give out of love, I gain everything. We can sum up Paul's point in these startling words from 1 John 3. Whoever does not love abides in death. That's a challenging word. This, again, may not have been what you were expecting from 1 Corinthians 13. We often read it in a flowy, kind of warm voice, and, and forget that Paul is, he's, he's kind of railing against these people. It's, you think that this, because it looks like love, has just as much worth as love, but if it lacks that real love, it is worthless. But if we believe that God is love, as John wrote, as we read earlier And that we love because he first loved us. Then if we claim to follow him without having love, we have to ask the question of whether we are really following him at all. Now, I don't say that to make you doubt your salvation, just to to pull that back a little bit. I don't say that to guilt you into some new wave of energy in your Christian life. I say that both to make you take stock. Am I living in love? And then to treat it as seriously as Paul takes it. I think if you are actually a little bit troubled by saying, you know what, I'm not living in as much love as I feel like I should be, that is probably a good sign that the Spirit is at work within you saying, yes, you should look more like Jesus. I think if you are sitting here today saying, you know, I've got this love thing pretty much figured out, we may need to talk afterwards. But just because we recognize that we need to grow in love doesn't mean that we don't then take that active step of figuring out what does that look like? How do I do that? 
what I want to say and what Paul is clearly teaching us is that love is worth taking intensely seriously. If you have a runny nose, you take some Sudafed and move on with your day and drink a little bit of extra water, right? If you start having chest pains and part of your body goes numb and you can't breathe, you go to the hospital because you're having a heart attack. You don't finish mowing the yard, right? You don't finish your workout. You, you drop what you're doing and you say, this is worth going and getting it checked out. My fear is that we can treat a lack of love as more like a runny nose than a heart attack. When Paul is saying, this is a heart attack, y'all need to go to the emergency room. If you don't have love, the Bible tells us you don't have anything. And so we ask, do I love like Jesus loved? And if not, where, how, in what ways can I grow in love? Where have I failed to love? How can I make changes in those areas of my life? Now, you may be asking, and hopefully you are asking, what even is love? You've used this word 50 times already. You haven't defined it for us, and I know. And we're going to talk about that next week, so come back. <laughs> but in the meantime, give a little bit more clarity for this week. Uh, let's look and give a little bit of a definition, or at least a description of love. In 1 John 4, we're told, again, that we love because he, because Jesus, first loved us. I think more, than, more important than having a good definition of love is having a good idea of the person who is love. Right? More, more important than having words to say, this is love, this is, this is how we can define it. That's a good thing. We're going to try to do that a little bit more next week. But more important even than that is saying, God is love. Can I look at God, and particularly at Jesus and his life and how he lived, and can I imitate that? Because if I'm imitating the one who is love, then I will be loving. So we read from Philippians chapter 2, words that hopefully are familiar, um, but hopefully are deeply meaningful to all of us. Paul says to the Philippians, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is love. It's to will and work for the good of another, for their sake. It's to count them more significant than yourself. It's to sacrifice your good for their good. As Jesus told us, not in order that we might be seen, because that secretly makes it for your good. I think this is what the Corinthians often were doing was we were doing things that looked like they were for somebody else's good, but their goal was that people would see those things and then praise them. And and God is saying, what Jesus did was to sacrifice, to give of himself, to lay down his glory, to humble himself to the death of a cross because of his care for, his love for, 
his will for the good of those whom he loved. So what do we do today to grow in love? I think this is the practical question. I think this is a lot of the time where we fall short, where I certainly fall short, is we say, hmm, that love, that sounds so good, it's so beautiful when we see it in Jesus, so central to the Christian life, I, I should be loving more, I should be more loving, I want to live more in that, and then we go on our way. But to make it a little bit practical, at least, and part of that is the Holy Spirit. Part of that, and I could say all of that, is the Holy Spirit working within us, sanctifying us, making us look more like Jesus as we read his word, as we are among his people, as we are among those whom he is reaching out to, as we are doing our everyday work, is just looking unto Jesus and saying, I want to be more like him because I am so amazed by what he has done for me. My, my goal right now is essentially to say that in a few more words, through three prayers. At the end of the sermon, we're actually just going to pray through these things one by one. But for right now, to talk about them a little bit. Three prayers, I think, that help us to grow in love, to center our hearts on the one who is love. First is praying, God, would you create in me a heart that loves you and loves others as you have first loved me? to be sacrificial, to be steadfast in trials. That means looking more like Jesus than it's comfortable to look. That means looking like the one who, when he did his best and most impressive teaching, um, everybody left. It means looking like the one who, when he washed the feet of his servants, they immediately left him. It means looking like the one who, when he gave everything, when he went to the cross and could have saved himself, could have had this really beautiful, crazy thing where angels came and rescued him and we would still be talking about it, he decided instead, no, because of my love for these people, for, because of their need, not just for a cool sign, but for actually an effective sacrifice, I'm going to die when I didn't have to. It means looking like the one who loves. God, would you create in me? Would you build up in me? Would you strengthen within me a heart that loves you and that loves others as you have first loved me? Second prayer is, God, would you direct me toward people in this world that I can love and be a servant to? and sacrifice for, whether figuratively or literally, by be put to death by. This, I think, is often where I get tripped up, is that I, I like that first part. God, would you build in me a heart of love? But the prayer, God, would you show me people I can love? God, would you show me places that your love can be at work in my life? Would you show me places where the love that got Jesus put to death the love that got Jesus laughed at, persecuted, would you show me people? Maybe it's people in your family. Maybe it's family members who you do not have the easiest time dealing with. Who will, probably figuratively, hopefully figuratively, put you to death for the things that you say, for the very content of the love that you share. 
Maybe it's people you work with. Maybe it's somebody who you are around every day, who you can be there showing the love of Jesus, showing, well, what we'll see next week, love that is patient and kind, love that does not seek its own good but the good of others, love that does not boast. Maybe it's your church. We certainly probably give you enough reasons to be irritated. I probably, as I messed up the words to my own song earlier, (laughs) maybe irritated you a little bit. Um, But God, would you direct me, would you point me to people, concrete, real people, situations, places where I can be the light of your love that you have put me here to be? Show me my mission field. Third prayer, God, would you equip me to love those people and to love you? Would you give me spiritual gifts that fit the actual needs of those whom you are sending me to, whether those gifts seem miraculous or whether they seem commonplace? This is one of the issues that often comes up in this passage is, Are we supposed to be seeing the kinds of gifts that Paul is speaking of in the practical everyday life of the church? And that's a question that splits churches. It's a question that um, is extremely contentious. I think maybe it's more contentious than it needs to be because we're looking at it from the wrong angle. Oftentimes, we go at these things from the point of view of experience. You can't tell me that what I experienced isn't true. And there is some truth to that, but we also have to say your experience needs to be kind of checked with the word of God because we all tend to misinterpret our own experience. So for instance, if we talk about tongues, people can say, I've, I've had the experience. I know plenty of people who have had the experience of speaking in tongues. My instinct is not to tell those people, well, that was probably nothing. That, that did not mean anything but I also am not going to validate necessarily that it meant exactly what they meant, that they thought that it meant. Right? There are people within Islam who will speak in tongues. There are people within kind of New Age thought that will speak in tongues. So it's a difficult thing to figure out what is God doing with spiritual gifts today? I fall into the camp, if you're interested, of what I would call cautious cessationism, which means I don't see gifts operating today in the world that I think line up with what the Bible says, but I don't also see such strong language in the word of God that says that they must have ceased. So I'm kind of open, but also saying, if you're going to speak in tongues, I want to see what Paul said speaking in tongues should look like, which is that if you're going to speak in tongues, you should pray for an interpreter so that they can actually be helpful. This is how I think 1 Corinthians 13 helps us to, oh, just just jump over that whole debate. Because it helps us to say, God, whatever the gifts look like that you give me, would you give me gifts that help me to love? God, would you give me gifts if someone is misunderstanding the word just painfully, it's leading them into maybe sin or lack of assurance in their salvation. They're they're just struggling to understand your word. God, would you give me gifts of wisdom and insight and teaching so that I can help this person to understand that God's gifts 
and God, the love that God wants to show are intimately tied. God, would you give me gifts for the places that your love needs to be shown? God, would you give me gifts of, of patience and kindness for those who are going to need it? Right? If you have somebody in your life who tests your patience and kindness, I know that none of you do. God, would you give me gifts of patience, gifts of kindness, gifts of just self-sacrifice for those people who irritate me because I know that you still want to show love to them. The gifts and the love are tied because the gifts are there to enable the love. This is God's vision throughout the New Testament. Now also, sometimes in the New Testament, we hear that God gives gifts as a sign against unbelief. That is a whole other thing, and we're going to lay that to the side for right now. That is not part of uh, what I have prepared this morning. Just know that if you're sitting here, but what about that's true? But as we pray, as we think about what, what God is doing in our lives, what God is doing through us, I think the prayer, God, would you equip me? Would you give me gifts that allow me to love those whom you have given me to love? So these three prayers, God, would you create in me a heart that loves you? God, would you direct me towards people you have given me to love? God, would you equip me to love those people as you have first loved me? So we're going to pray those three things right now as as I close. I'm going to pray each of those and then leave a little bit of time so we can each just pray through those things. All right? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the incredible blessings that you have given us in Christ. We thank you that he came and he, to whom all was owed, to whom all glory and honor should have been given, to whom all gifts should have been given, he came and he died for us. We thank you for that. Lord, would you create in us, would you create in me a heart of love like the love of Jesus. God, we know that you have put us where we are in your sovereignty, in your wisdom, in places that seem obvious that you're working, in places where we can't even fathom how you're working, Lord, would you point us, would you show us how you are at work and how we are your hands and feet in those places, to those people. Finally, God, would you equip me Would you equip us to love those people and to love you as you have first loved us? Would you give us the gifts that we need, the ability, the character that we need to love like Jesus loved? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you that you are working far beyond what we know, far beyond what we could have expected. And I pray that you would be at work within us, 
through us, that your kingdom may be brought here as it is in heaven, that your word may be made known, that your gospel may go out, and that people may be saved all to your incredible glory. In Jesus' name, amen.